Hey, if you brought a Bible this morning, I'm going to ask you to open it to um, the Gospel of Luke. If you didn't bring a Bible, let me invite you to grab one of ours on the end of the row and flip open to page 724. Give you a second to get there. I want you to hear the word with me this morning, then we'll pray together, as is our habit. This is what the word says. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, today we are so pleased to be in your presence. We are thankful that you welcome us, sinners as we are, into your kingdom into your inheritance, and into your holiness. We do not deserve it. You are so good to us. You are so good to everyone. Even those who deny you, you pour out blessings. We pray, Father God, that today as we come into your presence, the place where your glory dwells, that we would have minds turned toward you, that we would be given eyes to see and ears to hear a glorious truth, that is beyond our understanding, beyond our words. Father, we come here with many burdens, and we just pray that in this time, if no other, we can lay them down and seek you with all of our life, that we could be uh, enlightened by your spirit. We pray, Father, that you would help us understand your word rightly, that you'd be glorified through his proclamation, and that we would find in your gospel an eternal hope. We give you praise and glory this time we have with you. It's not enough, this time we have to worship you this morning. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're heading into this new uh, series because next week is Easter, right? Can you believe it's Easter? And every year we think about this, and there's these kind of three weeks around Easter where we spend talking about what Jesus did. We talk about it all our lives, though, really. I mean, the gospel is so huge in our lives. I don't know. I, I think if, if it doesn't feel huge to you what Jesus did on the cross, you should probably step back and examine your life and think, remember uh, who you were before Jesus got a hold of you. And, and that should give us some perspective. This new series is called Rise. I, I, I'm so excited because of the reality of Easter for us. Uh, that he, he is not dead, but he's alive. And yet this week, as we had, some people call this Holy Week, right? Have you heard of Holy Week before? It's the end of Lent, if you celebrate Lent, if you recognize that. And it's this Holy Week. Um, by the way, let me remind you that this Friday is a good Friday service at lunch here in Highland. If you're in the area, come to the First Congregational Church to worship with all those who are gathering to remember uh, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. If you're not in Highland, spend some time Friday thinking about Jesus' day. It's funny that we call it good. I can't imagine much about that day was good for Jesus. So do that. And then, and then um, also by way of reminder, next Sunday morning, we're doing Easter sunrise service at 6.30 in the morning at Mosaic here in Highland. And so if you can drag out, pajamas are allowed. Come out and worship Jesus in pajamas. That would be awesome. Then go home and shower and come back here at 10, okay? Uh, we'd love to worship with you next week as well. Um, as a community of faith. But thinking about the week Jesus had leading up to the cross, and, th and the, the, not just the week, but the journey to the cross for Jesus is huge. 
And I don't know if in your life you've had hard things come your way, right? That's kind of dumb. If you've lived any length of time, you've probably had hard things come your way. I'm shocked right now in our culture how our adolescents, our young people, are so stressed out about life, right? I mean, everyone is stressed out about everything, and it's all so hard, I don't know if you've had a hard day or maybe you've had a hard situation that you've had to look toward. You, you've seen it coming. And, and I don't mean just something, something kind of hard, you know, like it's, it's kind of difficult, but I mean something that's like excruciatingly difficult. I mean, something that would challenge the very being, the very essence of who you are. Like it would just cut right to the middle of your heart and life. This week, as we consider Jesus' own journey, that's what I want to think about, is what it looks like to rise to the occasion. And we hear this today uh, from the Gospel of Luke. It's only one verse that I read to you today. One small verse. It says, when the time for his ascension approached, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. I want to give you a little bit of backstory in case you haven't read your Bible in a while. By the way, if you haven't read your Bible, I'd encourage you to read it. It's not just like any other book. I used to think that was true. It is not true. It's a divinely inspired word of God, and it's it's meant to serve, to minister to us, and to reveal the gospel of Jesus. I want to remind you that at this point in Jesus' journey, he's been through many things. We all know about Christmas and his birth. But do you realize that when Jesus, after his baptism, he was, he was directly assaulted by Satan, directly tempted by Satan in his, in his journey? He was, he was literally challenged about what he, how he saw himself in his time alone in the desert. That's in Luke 4, by the way, all leading up to what we're talking about. And then he had gone around and found some people to follow him. And it was ordinary people like you and me. I mean, we think these like, guys are like holy apostles. They're like divine. You know, they always paint them with these like oh, things around their head. But they were people, man. The thing that made them the oh, thing around their head was Jesus, not themselves. He didn't pick holy people to follow him. He picked, picked regular people like you and me. And he said, come follow me. Be part of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus called disciples. That's in Luke 5. He worked many miracles that demonstrated two things, his authority. And if you've not read the Gospel of Luke, I'd encourage you to read it. Because over and over it says, he, you know, he taught like no one else. He spoke as one that had authority. He would command demons to obey him. He would command illnesses. He would command water and waves. And he demonstrated this, his authority on the earth. But not just his authority, but his divinity. He was, he was displaying for all the world to see that he was more than a man. He was God in the flesh. He began to invite, and I love this, a few people who believed him, a few people who were crazy enough to follow him. He would invite them in, and he would teach them about the things of the kingdom of heaven. Now, he taught everyone about the kingdom of heaven, but to those guys, they're like, we don't get it. And he'd say, let me explain it to you. And he would tell them, this is what's going on. This is what God is up to in his kingdom. And again, as one that had authority. And then this is interesting he was confessed as Christ, right? I mean, there were a lot of great teachers, a lot of prophets had been, and there had been prophets in a long time in Israel, but there had been prophets in the past. And so, you know, he, here he is, and he's speaking as one that has authority. And then one of his disciples, you know, 
says, and it's Peter in this case, but he says, you are the Christ. That's a big deal. He says, you're the Messiah. We get it. We see who you are. So I just want you to remember all these things, right? He had called disciples. He was rebuking demons. He was owning everything. He was identified by his followers as the coming God, the God in the flesh, the present reality of Yahweh, the creator. And things couldn't have been going better. As a matter of fact, just before the line I read, and I love this story, Jesus took three guys and said, come with me. I'm going to show you something. And he took them up a mountain. When he got to the mountain, he was transfigured, it says in Scripture, right? He, he shone like white light in their presence. And they bowed down. And God spoke over Jesus again. And this holy, he was a, a vision. And, and, and Peter, of course, had something to say. He's like, oh, we should worship here, <laughs> you know? He revealed his divinity again, demonstrated his glory. And in this place in his life, you know, if, if, I, were, if I were following Jesus, I would say, man, it's going great. Like, things couldn't be going better, you know? Jesus, this is awesome what you're doing here. Let's keep doing this. Let's keep walking around and healing people. Let's keep proclaiming the good news. Let's get more followers. But in the middle of this, what I would say was he was just on cruise control. I mean, what more could he do? There was one thing. And as his time for ascension approached. Jesus fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. That's no small matter. Things were going great, and he saw a greater need. He saw a greater need. Many times, whenever you and I face a very difficult trial, a very difficult, and I want you to bring to mind something that you struggle with, and we look at it, and, and, and we can be overrun with fear. We can become terrified. Terrified. We, be, we can become completely irrational. We, we just, and we can begin to compromise everything about who we are. We can forget everything we've known. We can forget every commitment we've made. We can forget every commitment that's been made to us. But in Jesus' life, he set his eyes on Jerusalem. I want to talk about that one verse. And you can read all around it. I would encourage you to read the Gospel of Luke. But he says, when the time drew near for him to go up. That's what the word actually says. When the time drew near for him to go up. Not everyone that was with Jesus at the time understood that it was going to get harder. You know? I mean, you can already see the disciples making rules. They were talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They were trying to make a line, you know, for healing. They were pulling a program around what Jesus was doing. But in Jesus' own understanding, life was about to get much, much harder. 
And I would say harder not just because he was going up to Jerusalem, but harder because even those who would follow him, even those who would stand near him and say, you're the Messiah, you're beautiful, you're glorious, when he would tell them God's plan for him, they would say, no way, that is not happening to you. And he had to overcome even them who were nearest to him to go to Jerusalem. The truth is this, and I want you to see it, when the days drew near for him, there was a schedule. There was an appointed time. Sometimes we have a tendency to read scripture and go, oh, look how random it all is. Wow, imagine that he met this woman at this well, and oh, imagine he met those disciples at this place. But in Jesus' life, that wasn't his understanding. There were seasons, there were ordained things he was called to do. He was put here on earth to do, and he would not be denied. And so when the time drew near, Jesus was ready. See, we get lost in the clamor of life, don't we? I mean, we can be facing, you know, we can just be going along in life, and everything's going great, and then there's this problem, and we go, oh, this ain't supposed to happen. Everything's supposed to be great. And yet, in Jesus' own understanding, there was a time that was coming. As a matter of fact, in the gospel, he had just told them this. I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to give my life as a ransom for many people. They're like, okay, sure. Now, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven again? Me or, or that guy? See, Jesus saw beyond what was happening in the moment. He has this long view of what God is doing, and there's a time. I want to say something, too, about this idea that when the time came near for him to be taken up. I mean, the word, it's like when the time came near for his ascension, right? And we think about ascension being after Jesus died and was raised. By the way, if you don't know the story, he was killed on the cross, put in a grave, and raised three days later. That's the gospel message. And it's good news because not only that, but he offers it to us, salvation, forgiveness of our sins, and eternal life. And so when we think about ascension, we can think that far ahead, and we can think, oh, he's going to go fly away. You know, he's going to be on the mountain, and the book of Acts records it, and he, he's taken up to heaven in front of him, and there's angels saying, what are you looking at? You know, what are you standing here for? That's what we think of. But the, the reality is that to go to Jerusalem, you had to go up. For Jesus to get where he needed to be for the, the Lord, for God's glory, he had to climb well, they called it a mountain. It was more of a hill, I think. But he had to climb. He had to elevate. He had to go up. He had to live into what God had for him. And not only that, but let me remind you, if you're here today, we have this big wooden uh, cross up here because not only was he going to go up to Jerusalem, but he was going to be raised up in front of the nations. An object of scorn and wrath. Beaten and bruised. Cut and killed. And dying, weak, and broken on a cross. It was a long way to go, to go up. And yet, the scripture says this. When the time drew near for Jesus to go up, he fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. I'm convinced that in that moment, as all the disciples were busy with life 
and thinking how great things are going, he saw a past and he saw all the sin. I want to remind you of something. If you think, if, if you don't understand what Jesus sees as our biggest problem, it's, it's pointed out repeatedly in Scripture. Sometimes we go, oh, isn't the world a broken place because people aren't healthy? Oh, isn't the world a broken place because we have a broken relationships? Isn't the world a broken place because, you know, things don't always work out for us or, or whatever, you know? Oh, I, I didn't have this in my plans and my plans aren't going right. When Jesus looked at people, when he interacted with people, the biggest problem he saw with us was our sin. I want you just to take a moment and I want you to imagine... Jesus walking through a crowd. You know what you and I would see? That guy's an awesome businessman. That lady needs to get her life together. That dude is nothing but trouble. That lady is running her own business. I don't know what she's doing. She's a great wife. I don't know, mother. You know what I'm saying? Whatever you want to attribute to it. <laughs> she's president of the United States. I mean, whatever is honoring to you for, right? These people have it together. These people don't have it together. And we look and we say the haves and the have-nots, the goods and the bads and all this stuff. And then Jesus walks to the crowd and he looks and in every one of God's people that got knit together in their mother's womb, he sees the image of his father covered in sin, broken, not right. If you don't believe me, read the gospel. Do you know what he says? Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say be healed. He doesn't say see. He doesn't say hear. The first thing he says is your sins are forgiven. And then people scoff. <laughs> How can Jesus forgive sins? And he says, so that you might know the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, I say. Be healed. The biggest problem he saw with us wasn't our broken state. The biggest problem he saw was our sin that did separate us from God. We couldn't get there. It says he fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. And Jesus' own Religious heritage, the Jewish people were getting ready to celebrate the Passover feast. This was the high holiest day. All nations would gather into Jerusalem and they would offer sacrifices, atonement for the sins. You'll remember the story from Exodus when the people were stuck in slavery and, and the, 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 the Pharaoh would not let them go. Jesus said, take a lamb, a perfect, or God said, take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and slaughter it, and paint the blood over your doorposts, and the Spirit of God that will take out his vengeance on all evil people will pass over your house. And so every year, traditionally, all the people would go into Jerusalem, and they would slaughter lambs, and they would offer sacrifices for sins, and, and they would hope that this blood covering would let the Spirit of God pass over them and not destroy us. And the Bible says that those that believed that God was going to offer a perfect, perfect sin offering would be saved. That's what Hebrews 11 is all about. They will be saved by their faith in Jesus. But as the nations prepared for their ritual, as they prepared yet again to do this whole thing, trusting that God's going to bring a Messiah, a Savior, a blood offering that's worthy of God's holiness. Jesus fixed his gaze on Jerusalem. 
He saw it. I want you to get the gravity of this, right? He saw in Jerusalem the opportunity, the moment that the Father had given him before time began, that this restoration, the sin. I want to remind you that in, in, in the first murder in the Bible, it says that the soil cried out for justice. That every time a drop of blood is spilled on the soil, the earth itself screams to the heavens, this isn't right. This is God's beautiful creation. And the earth screams out. How long? And when Jesus looks to Jerusalem, and he sees the sin of all the people, and all the blood is crying out for vengeance, for a payment. The word says that he fixed his eyes on Jerusalem. This eye fixing, this face facing, it's a big deal. It doesn't mean he kind of glanced over toward it and thought, I'll get to that in a minute. It doesn't mean, you know, it was a flippant thing. It means that he was determined. He was determined to go to the cross. Now, if you're a skeptic, you might be like, oh, he's looking for some holy moment. He, he's looking to be a martyr for the cause, right? I mean, he's looking to be a symbol for, of hope for the nations. Uh, he's going to show us how it's done. He's the ultimate pacifist. He's going to go and die. But that's not what Jesus saw. That's not what he saw. When he spoke of himself being the son of man and being the Christ, the son of God, when he looked at the Passover offerings that weren't getting it done, he knew that in his death and in his cross and his perfect sinless life, that his blood would satisfy the demand. And here's the crazy part. He knew that his blood would satisfy the sinful demand of you and of me. That in that place and at that time where we should most surely die, where you and I should most surely die, Jesus paid the price for our sins. I want to remind you that this was a continual decision he made. And you can read it after this. Read the rest of Luke. He's continually going, continually pursuing, continually heading to Jerusalem for us. It's so funny because even whenever it happened, you'll remember this week, whew, coming up to Good Friday, that even those who were cheering him on, right? Even those disciples who were like, you're the Messiah. We're going to abandon him. We're going to leave him. And at the end, there'd be none righteous. None. And in this moment where it'd be so easy, you know, to just say, well, that didn't work out. You know, it's, it's not going according to plan that Jesus saw the work. 
and it needed to be finished. This Friday, don't, don't miss it. Don't miss it. We're remembering Easter. I love it. All the celebration, but don't miss Friday. Because without Friday, Easter doesn't mean anything. Without the atonement for sin, the, the, the raising of the dead doesn't mean anything. Matter of fact, Scripture says that all be raised to judgment. The righteous and the wicked alike will be raised without the atonement price that Jesus paid on Friday, the rest of it is worthless. Getting back to this idea then for us when we see ourselves facing hard things. I asked you earlier to think about some things in your life that you're looking at. I don't know if you have that tendency to fix your eyes on it. Maybe you're more like me and you have a tendency to, to, to avert your gaze, Right? something ahead of you that you don't want to face and you just kind of look, I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know if it's a difficult situation you've had. I, I, I don't know if, if it's something that, that, that God is challenging you with in your sin. I, I don't know if it's something that you can't get past. I, I don't know if it's a failed relationship. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe there's someone that you think you love more than Jesus does and you can't get over that. We have a tendency, instead of being like Jesus and fixing our gaze, to look away, to turn our faces, to hope for the best. See, the bad news for us is this, and I'll just say this very clearly, but you and I can't do what Jesus did. Try it. Try it. Look at the worst thing in your life that's going on. Look at the, the worst possible, you know, thing you're facing or whatever and just bear down on it and just muster all your determination and look at it and say, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to win. Because, you know, the problem with that is the minute you hit it, there's something behind it and it's, you're not going to do it. You're, you, we're powerless. And you know that and I know that. And I don't care almost how big or small it is. We don't have it in us. And that's the bad news. But here's the good news. Is that in the same way that Jesus fixed his eyes on Jerusalem, you and I can fix our eyes on Jerusalem as well. We can continually look to the cross of Christ. We can continually remember his great sacrifice. We can, in fact, continually remember his great determination that by God's power, they will be saved. You know, Jesus said that about us. He said, not one that the Father gave to me was lost. Not one. And you might live on that edge. You think, man, Jesus ain't going to save me. In the end, he's not going to do it. But the truth is, he said, I don't lose anyone. And so we can fix our eyes on Jerusalem. We can fix our eyes on the cross. And we can fix our eyes on the Savior whose blood, as it poured down, quenched the demand that our sins be paid for. And I don't know if you have that. I hope that you do. We can look and see the work that Jesus did with great hope. The writer of Hebrews wrote this. Let us then fix our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith. I don't know who you think the faith that you have came from, but it came from God, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of God. That for the joy set before him, he scorned its shame. Because when he looked, he didn't see that being it. He saw everything beyond the cross. If you're trusting in Jesus as your Savior today, he saw you. He saw you. And with that kind of an idea and that hope, we can see our way through really hard things. I hope in our lives we have the courage to rise in Jesus' name. Do you understand what I'm saying? I hope when trials come, and they will come in your life, and the wind blows, and the storms scream, and the house shakes, and that will happen in your life, and if it hasn't, it will happen in your life, and when that moment happens for you, I hope that at that moment, as you begin to wonder, and you begin to have fear overwhelm you, that you will remember that Jesus paid the price for all of this, that Jesus commands the storm. That you and I, when trouble comes, will fix our eyes on Jesus. The truth is this, and you've got to know this. Without Jesus, you can't do it. And I'm not saying it because I'm a pastor. I believe that if I wasn't a pastor. But with Jesus, you can do anything. With Jesus, you can do anything. So fix your eyes on him. I want to pray with you today. I'm going to pray that whatever hardship you might be facing, you face with Jesus. I'm going to pray this. If you've got no hardships, we'll praise God today. There could be something around the corner, though. I'm going to pray that when it comes, you're ready. And I want to pray for every one of you that if you think Easter is about baskets and bonnets and eggs and candy, that this Easter, God will teach you something different. Pray with me if you would. Uh, Father, today we give you praise and glory because you are worthy. Father, without Jesus fixing his gaze, how could, we, how could we have any hope? How could we have any way forward? We are, we are, we are sick of man-made religion. We are, we are sick of it. We are sick of trying to be good enough. Father, we need you to heal us. For my friends here today, Father God, that don't know you as Savior, I pray that your Holy Spirit and your righteous decree would speak into their hearts and say, you're mine. That you have claimed them as your own. Father, for those of us who continue to fight and struggle and, and go kicking and screaming, I pray that we would stop and we'd be obedient to your spirit, that we would relent, that we would submit to your will in our lives. And Father, for all my friends who face hard times, for all the things that happen that we aren't ready for, I pray that in the moment your spirit would prompt us to fix our eyes on Jesus. That finding out in him that we have no reason to fear, no reason to be terrified because no one can do anything to us. We are yours, fully redeemed. May you be glorified as your people worship you. May you be glorified as we continue to seek you with everything that we have and 
I pray that all the false notions of who you are would fall away and we would see you for who you are, our righteous king and holy judge. We pray it in Jesus' name.